I'm Mary Angela Abeo, and this is the Face to Faces podcast, a conversation series that provides a platform focusing on the LGBTQ and POC communities and their allies in the areas of activism, politics, mental health, arts and entertainment, and community. In this space, we discuss the human experience in our ever-changing world. My goal here is to remind you that while you may have moments where you feel isolated and alone, there is always an incredible community of people here that is safe. We all connect to people at our deepest pains and our greatest joys. And in this space, we're here for those moments and everything in between. I'm so glad you're here. Take a seat next to me. It's always open. Now, let's lean in. Okay, I am so excited uh, to finally welcome my friend and also a brand new segment to Face to Faces called, drumroll, is everyone ready? The Caucasity, where we will be, well, basically all white fragility is an equal tier opportunity here. And my co-host for this monthly segment is my friend, Portia Birch who uses she, her pronouns. Um, She is an independent contractor working in diversity, equity, and inclusion, specifically surrounding dismantling implicit bias in the workplace. She works in abolition, specifically prison abolition and dismantling the prison industry complex. Welcome, my dear friend. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to do this with you. This is exciting. We have tried to, we've tried to record this four times and let's, when I say that the universe kept literally throwing things in the road at us, it really is what happened. Yes. And until about five minutes ago, when <laughs> we were downloading and getting all of our notes ready and live on TikTok, we were trying to figure out the universe just didn't want this. And we were even blaming the universe for not wanting more white, fragile people in the world. And then we realized. This is exactly where we're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Today is the best day. And the reason why it's, it's the George Floyd trial. Um, And I say that very specifically because even though Derek Chauvin is on trial, the way that this is working and the way we know the system works is that George Floyd, who was murdered by Derek Chauvin is the one that's on trial today. So this is the best time to have this conversation. This is the best time to pull out the fragile white folks and say, let's shake things up. It's this year is all about uncomfortable conversations. And if you can't sit in that space, we're going to pull you out into it with us. Yes. And honestly, that's what we have to do, right? It's, we've waited too long for people to show up to do this work, even though we've seen them needing to do this work. It's time that we're like, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and bring you on over here. I'm going to go ahead and enroll you in my class. Since you haven't done it as an elective, it's now a requirement. Yes. Yeah. I I think that um, when, when you and I originally started talking, we met on the all uh, famous TikTok, which I keep having to tell people it's not just for children. I promise. It's not, not at all. It gets a little grown over there sometimes. (laughs) But 
I do feel like when we met over there, you know, we, we immediately connected and we were, we were on the same wavelength in many ways. But I think this, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, this, this conversation was born out of my post about white people with dreadlocks. This is exactly how it happened. And I needed someone that I knew understood where I was coming from, but also I knew would call me to task and call me to the table and bring me into the conversation on an accountability level. Right. And I knew that you could do that. Yeah, 100%. Like the way that it started was you had somebody that had popped in that was super problematic, right? And the first thing that happened is you saw Mama P fly in, like, first of all. (laughs) You really were like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. (laughs) I came in hot. I was like, there's 16 things wrong with what happened here. And I'm going to listen all off. Uh, <laughs> like we're not going to do this shit today. Not today. Um, but from that though, it, it bred this opportunity for a conversation that needed to happen on a larger scale. Right. And I think that what happened is that subconsciously you were looking for a, a space to really live in this education that you're in, right? You were looking for a space to say, okay, I'm doing the work and I need to make sure other people are doing it with me. And what I appreciated is, and what I do, what I continue to appreciate is that you didn't come to me with like, okay, you have to teach me this. Um, You didn't even come to me asking me to teach you anything. You asked for a conversation about this. And that's important, right? Because that gives me autonomy to have this conversation in a way that makes the most sense for me, but then also in a way that makes the most progress for all of us. And that's important, right? That's very important that you did not make a demand on me. And I think that's, I think that's why we're here. Right. I think it's important. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like I, um, even, even at times when I did talk to you, I was like, I, I feel like I need to make sure I handle this correctly. And I make sure that they have the spoons and the space for this every time, because I know that that <laughs> we'll get into it in a bit, but that dread post exploded in a way that I, I knew it was coming. Every time I got a follower, a white follower with, with dreads, I was like, it's got, I got to do this. Yeah. I got to do it. And I had done a few, um, you know, white uh, activists, style posts before that, but I had not really pinpointed any specific situation where white people were being problematic. Mm -hmm. I knew it was happening and it was coming. I knew I had to do it, but I was like, God, if I get one more hippie white follower with dreads, I got to do it. And then I had, I had told you a few times, I'm like, this post is coming. This post is coming, (laughs) coming. And you came in and you gave me a lot of support. And I don't think I've ever properly thanked you for how much you showed up in that, in those comments. And I know that is something that takes a lot of your energy and a lot of your time. Mm -hmm. And it was, um, I was very overwhelmed with it, by the way, the amount of white hate that I got first, the white fragility of, and also white, the amount of people that were supporting me by not supporting me. It was really weird. Don't worry. You can do whatever you want with your hair. Don't worry. I'm sorry. People told you that. And I was like, okay, you're not, I don't, you're missing the point. Right. It was in a way to dismiss the bigger issue. They were making sure that you were okay. (laughs) And wow. White fragility. It's, it's okay to be fragile. 
There is nothing wrong with it. There's only a problem if you decide to stay fragile. And speak on it with no brain, but yes. <laughs> and speaking from a place of white fragility, it's not conducive to anything that needs to be done, right? It's not conducive to any type of progress. And yes, that's, exa that's exactly what happened. There were, a lot, there were a lot of apologists in your comments, right? Um, and the backlash of it was huge. It was just wild what happened. I mean, there was the first video that escalated into another one, into another one, into another one. And I had people saying they thought they were black in former lives and that's why they had dreads. I had one person that said, I'm not black, but my husband is. And he says, it's okay that I have dreads. I'm just like, Portia, at what point do oh I? Oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> I just, it, it just, it, it bred. And really it was a situation where they got the right one on the right day or the wrong, <laughs> the right day, however you want to look at it. But I had time for that. Um, but this brings up a, a really good point though, is this whole like, well, so-and-so said I could do it. Here's my thought about something like this, and this is gonna roll into bigger things. Yes, you can do whatever you want to do. People can, this is full autonomy. We have the right to do what we wanna do, but understand that comes with consequences. And understand that while one person might say it's okay, as a whole, you are problematic. And what needs to be understood is that if that person who might be from an oppressed community says it's okay, that person has some internalized oppression to deal with on their own. And that's not your fight. And I think I see a lot of white people that are piggybacking off of people of color, specifically black people that are battle battling their own internalized oppression, right? And so when that is happening, there are passes that are given for problematic behavior. I'm not gonna speak for somebody else's internalized oppression. That's their own trauma. That's their own lived experience that they're going through and we all have it. But again, like I said, that does not mean that the actions that you're getting a pass for are still not a big, huge problem and really fucking gross. Like, right, like that doesn't mean that, ever, that there are no other black people that are triggered and have problems with your behavior. Right, there are black people that are not just your black friend that said it's okay. And really, would you, I, I don't want, that's, and well, we can talk about the story, but I don't want to be anybody's pass. No. no. I don't, why would you want that? That's, that's with the reality of knowing that there are people that are not giving you a pass. Right. Like, why would you ever want to hurt anyone that way? Well, to me, it reads that you're just looking for a way to stay in your problematic behavior and have a reason to say, but it's fine because my friend said I could do it. It's the same no. as an abusive parent saying, I'm abusive because of how I was raised. Ooh. Uh. <laughs> if, that's, if, that's our, if that's our equation, I should be a really shitty parent and I'm not. Right. If that's, there's so many things that can go wrong because it, it, at what point do we start to say, okay, we know that this behavior is hurtful to other people. Let's change it. And I had this thought the other day. And so I'm actually really glad that I'm feeling okay to do this tonight because that's, that's when my thought has been running through my head about um, these changes that we asked to happen, right? So not wearing dreads as a white person, not saying the N word as a white person. So many other things people are like, but why? Outside of the fact that it's just, 
completely problematic and hurtful to black people. When you are told that something hurts somebody, why are you so stuck in fighting changing that? And that's, that's, I don't understand that. I just, I don't get that. Like, you know, if you're, if you're hitting somebody, like punching them in the arm, like, oh, buddy, you're so cool. That friend's like, hey, that hurts. You're probably going to stop doing it. Right. Because it hurts them. Right. Like, oh, my bad. I was just playing around. Right. Right. But when we're asking for behaviors to change, wow, that's a big difference. Then, then we've hurt some feelings, right? And then the feelings of the person that was causing harm somehow get placed at a higher priority than the person who's been harmed. And that's what we call white fragility. And that is why we're here. And that's why I wanted to do this. My idea for this segment mainly became necessary because of the responses from that post. That right. post, I was having... I had two things. I had people trying to excuse it and apologize. I also had people mad at me, almost like I was showing the dirty kitchen of the best restaurant in the city. Like I was doing a behind the scenes and they were like, you're just being a white savior. Why would you, why is it a white person talking about this? Why don't you let black people talk about black hairstyles that are problematic? And it was very like, and I had to sit with that for a minute and go, am I being a white savior here? Right. And, and, and I had um, a BIPOC creator come into my DMs and said, I saw these, these comments and I know it's hard, but let me explain to you why this is helpful for me personally, is that you weren't going saying this is wrong. You were saying what I did, this is what I did and this is how I fixed it. And this is why this was wrong in my eyes. And I think that there are not enough people holding themselves accountable. Right rather than pointing figures, fingers at what is wrong. Right. And this is like we talked about earlier, there is something to be said. There's something very powerful in speaking from a place of the mistakes or the missteps that we've made in order to create change, right? Um, to me, white saviorism is calling out everybody else's problematic behavior and forgetting about the stuff that I've done or that you've done. You know, that's, that's that saviorism as a whole, you know, if, if we're swooping in trying to fix something and we're calling out all the problematic behavior and saying, this is wrong, that's wrong, this is wrong, that's wrong, but never acknowledging what we've done, that doesn't do anything, right? Then it's just a place of lecture. And so for you to truly become that activist and that accomplice that we talked about, it starts with what you've done. It starts with where you fucked up, Right. And we have to call it what it is. We've made mistakes. Yes. And that is okay. That's another thing that we don't talk about enough is the fact that there's mistakes. And not only that, but as the world grows and as people learn and as people are educated, better be sure that more mistakes in your life are going to come up. Look at the hip hop community now. Look at the hip hop community. I think that's a really great example of like transphobia homophobia like there are things coming up now that we're just like Ooh, like what was happening and they've always been there it just yes. it takes it takes an experience it takes um an instance it takes a situation to bring it to light right and yes you make a very good point there's always going to be learning there's always because something else is going to come up right the minute that we bring up one problematic behavior it's it's a ball of yarn we just start pulling at it you're like, oh shit, like, <laughs> right. oh, ooh. you know, like you just start to, to learn these things that have been bad. 
And I think one struggle that happens is while we're talking about white fragility, how much of these problems are baked in white supremacy culture. And those three words scare white people so much, which I think is fascinating. Why does the why do the words white supremacy culture scare white people more than they scare me? That is a great. Can you question. can you make that make sense for me? Can you make that make any sense? I mean, uh, I think it's it's wild that people aren't. <laughs> I, people are so interested in this twenty three me whatever the I don't ever what this is called the DNA test. But are, are you really looking into your history? Are you really looking into maybe the white supremacy that is in your ancestry? Like when people talk about, you know, channeling my ancestors, I'm like, Barbara, you might want to be careful. Like, yeah. <laughs> let's find out who those ancestors are, girl. My, my theory behind um, 23andMe, I've, I've got feelings about this. Mm. Um, I think that people should have access to learn about their heritage. Um, I think it should be free for any person of color. Yes, agreed. There is no reason why it, it specifically black folks that were brought here on, on slave ships. Why should I have to pay to find out where I'm from? <laughs> be able to find out what village my ancestors are from what African tribe my? why should I have to do that? That's one problem that I have with it. The other problem I have with it are the white people that do this and that are so excited to express that they are something other than white. <laughs> so then they can say that they are one sixteenth native or one thirty second African something, right? You said one thirty second. <laughs> I sure the fuck did. And then, and then with that, small iota run with <laughs> they get dreadlocks <laughs> well i could do this because you know my great 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 grandfather and let me tell you the story about how anyways um but so they get so excited about having that fraction but then do they want to take on the the onus of being a pre- well no no they sure don't. They want to use their white facing privilege um, to get what they, they want. To, they want to have their cake and eat it too. They sure do. They sure do. They sure do. Yeah. There was somebody in the, in the dreads comment that said um, my mom is half cube or a quarter Cuban. Does that mean I can have dreads? And my response was, if you have to ask, probably no. <laughs> Again, it's like, it's going back to childhood, right? So if you have to ask, can I take this cookie? Then you know that it's not for you. <laughs> right. What's for us is for us. And we shouldn't have to ask permission. Like, and, and, and it's, it's almost like it, white people, and I say this uh, with the hugest form of the word, want to find a reason to be oppressed so badly. Oh, I mean, I had people in the comments going, okay, but what about box braids? I heard those are okay. And I'm like, oh. You know what? Wear the box braids. And then when your hair falls out, don't <laughs> come to me and ask what the fuck to do. We told you, don't do it. Your hair is not meant for it. Would you like one of our wash days? 24 hours. But yes, what is this, what is this need? 
to be oppressed. But then here's what's even better, right? So you have white people that want so desperately to say that they're oppressed in some way, fashion or form. But then do they do, they do anything about said oppression? <laughs> they just cry and whine. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, the best, the best are the comments that are like, I have free will and I can have whatever hairstyle I want. Go for it. Okay. Go for so it. If you, yeah, but then, you know what I mean? It's like, yes. you're, oh, okay. You're missing the point here. Then don't ask, just go do it. Don't be part of the conversation. Yeah. But it, don't, don't, don't feel bad. If we are looking at you funny down the street, if we are giving you, uh, we can do whatever we want to. What's, what's happening is, is they're looking for permission to behave in a, a manner that's going to hurt somebody else. They already have the decision made. They know what they want to do. They want to be validated in that behavior. And the problem is, is that because there's so much white supremacy culture baked into the lives that we live, there, there's too much permission given. There's too much. I had this thought the other day about how um, black people often in the past have just been giving okays to behavior, just saying, yeah, it's fine. And the reason behind that is our pain is never seen as strongly or heard as loudly as white fragility is. We can say over and over again, this hurts us. This is hurting us. This isn't right to us. But then white fragility and white tears come in. But why? I don't understand. I'm just trying to do this for you. I just want to be your friend or I just want to blah, 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 blah. And because it's easier, quote unquote, easier to just swoop in and say, you know what? Just, I feel sometimes like, Black people are just that exhausted mom that has six kids and it's the end of the day and they've been hearing mom, 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 and they're just tired. We're just tired. Um, but I think what's happened over this last year is that we're tired of being tired. Yeah. I know for one, I am. I am tired of being tired. I can't even imagine. Like, I feel like I, I see just a fraction and I'm like, what, uh, uh, you know, I think that's what part of this conversation is for is, mm -hmm. can we have this conversation? Can we ruffle feathers and create conversations that feed off of this? And that, because I think what's happening right now is there's a lot of performatism. Yes. Performatism. Like there's a lot of people performing, you know, I, we've talked about this offline about activism and about protesting. And I think, um, that was such a fad, wasn't it? Remember that? Um, and yeah, right. And I, I know, and I know there are not everybody can protest. I know that not everybody is able. I get that. However, I'm going to put a disclaimer out here. Yep. If you are white, if you are able-bodied, meaning physically able to walk, which I understand. And I have seen a lot of people with the ability to walk long distances. They take hikes, they post pictures who have literally said in circles, I didn't, I didn't go to that protest because it was going to be, it was going to be violent. It was dangerous for me. So 
out of the Black Lives Matter protests that were last year, 3% turned violent. Wow, I love that statistic. I had no idea. And the 3% that turned violent, 1.25% of that were caused by white supremacists that showed up to incite violence. Wow. You, yes, you make a good point. We have to be uh, mindful of making sure that we're talking about accessibility, right? Not everybody can be on the front lines. I talked to you about this earlier. The front lines aren't for everybody. And I will say this too, the front lines aren't even for every able-bodied person because it also takes a lot of your mental health. Yes. But there is still so much that can be done that involves education and learning and unpacking and unlearning. There's work that can be done. There is so much work that can be done from the the safe space of your home Mm -hmm. by opening a book, by... Please not Google. Oh, Um, talks to me about that book. Oh my God. Um, But by any of that, from the phone that you take the time to send a message to a black person saying, what's white fragility? My answer when I've reached my point is, are you texting me from a smartphone? Yes. (laughs) Open up that browser that little globe icon down there. It might, it might be Chrome. could be Safari. It might just say browser, whichever version of phone you're using. You open it up. Browser. <laughs> and, then, and then that search bar, you type, what is white fragility? And there's all these free answers. Did you know it's free? Did you know you did not have to pay for that? Amazing how that works. Google A. Yeah. The Google A. Oh, you bougie. When people asked me, they were like, what is by gender? You know, let me explain something to you. Like, nope. I'm not Googling for you. Not Googling for you. I love the phone. I'm using that. I'm going to yeah. use that. Are you holding a phone? Cool. Cool. Yeah. I think that, that I think I, I would love, because I think that I've learned this in the mental health space that I create. Cause I, at the end of the day, I really want this segment Portia to be a uncomfortably safe place for white people to have conversations or to draw from this information and bring to their problematic family members. Like I had this conversation, I listened to this podcast episode or this segment that I'm into and they talked about this and I'm thinking maybe I want to talk to you guys about it at dinner or whatever. Like that's where the that's where we're missing things right now is people want to be keyboard warriors. People want to um, show the books on their Instagram profile they're reading. Like people want to do all this. But, you know, if I see one more person with BLM in their bio, like they want to do that. But are you ready to talk to Uncle Tim who uses racial slurs every year at Thanksgiving? Or are you just gonna, is that too hard of a conversation for you? Like, what are we going to do? And I hope that this can be uncomfortable enough, but also safe because I want to share my trend. I want to share some of the things that I've struggled with that I have been learning because I feel like, okay, I'm not perfect. None of us are. And that's the thing. Perfectionism is baked in white supremacy. Yes. Wow. That's real. It is. It is. And you make a good point. Um, The uncomfortable safe space that is outstanding. It's like talking before, I want people to be uncomfortable. I want to shake you up because that means that you're thinking about something. Yes. 
that means that you're like, wait a minute. Okay. So maybe I have fucked up along the road. Now, how do I change it? And that's the key part. And this is what I hope to get from this as well, that it's more than just talking about, because you and I can discuss this all the time and we can talk about where you've come from, where you're going, where you're currently at, and that's outstanding. And I want people to absorb that as well, but they need to then take what they've got and apply it to their everyday life. And this, I think that we're creating the space to do that, right? We've got myself, a black queer woman here to share my experiences, happily to do it because I I am in the process, like I'm in the business of creating anti-racist through my work. This is what I do, right? This is what I want to do. This is the way that I feel that I can make an impact in this world. And then we have you, this lovely white bi-gender queer human being that is ready to acknowledge the shit that you've done because you want to be better. We can't be better until we acknowledge what we've been doing wrong, right? And get and really get to the root of it, not just, oh, this one time at band camp kind of thing. No. Right. Are you familiar with uh, QBQ? No. Okay, I love talking about this. Question before the question. Um, so it's, it's a beautiful book. I'll see if I can find it for you. It's written by a white man, but whatever. Um, I love you. <laughs> what, are we, what are we gonna do? Like, we can't get rid of them yet. Um, um, so a good example that I use is like, okay, so consistently late to work, consistently late to work. And so finally I'm written up because I'm late to work. And I'm like, God, why am I always late to work? Let's unpack it. I'm late to work. I'm late to work because I hit the stoplight at 12th and Dodge. I hit the stoplight at 12th and Dodge because traffic is always crazy at 755. I'm at the stoplight at 7.55 because I leave my house at 7.37. I leave my house at 7.37 because I insist on hitting snooze at extra time in the morning. So am I late to work because of traffic or am I late to work because I like to hit snooze? Right, right. So you find out the original reason. So the same thing with unpacking white fragility. Why, why am I so fragile? Well, somebody hurt my feelings. Did they hurt your feelings? Or did they call you out? Well, they called me out. Well, why'd they call you out? Well, I said this. So you can just run it back, right? It's just really just kind of running it back. It's that same concept. And that's going to be what needs to happen is unpacking and unbaking all of this shit that we've been learned, been taught and that we've learned. I, I say this all the time. And I've said this before in other podcasts. We can't control what we're taught as children, right? So if you run it back to the problematic behavior that you've had before, you probably picked up on it when you're a kid, whether it was told to you like explicitly or you picked up on it implicitly. You saw it, you learned it, it was baked in. So as a child, we can't hold you accountable for that. We can, however, hold adults accountable for not recognizing that what they learned and what they were taught was wrong and then deciding not to make a change. Yeah. And, and that's the, I think that's where we're falling short. Yes. We're not holding adults accountable. And that goes right back to white supremacy and white supremacy ref- being the end all be all and refusing accountability and just saying these are the rules. Yes, that's exactly it. That how many times have we heard, why do we have to change it? It's been like this forever. 
because it's fucking wrong. That's why we have to change it. And there's nothing wrong with saying that something was wrong, right? There's nothing wrong with recognizing that what we know and what we've always known is wrong. Right. And I think that, that right now, white society trains us to um, question when a black person is in, involved in something, question what they were doing rather than question what happened. Yes. And it's like, what? Without a doubt. I mean, without a doubt, it's, it's always going to be what was the black person doing? that caused the situation. Yeah, I think Breonna Taylor's situation is a very, very uh, good example for that because I had a conversation with somebody that lives in Louisville about, because uh, I was curious to see how someone in Louisville felt. And, uh -huh. you know, I think their politics were questionable, but not horrible. So I, I thought I was going to be on the same page. Little did I know. And yeah. He literally was like, well, I mean, you know, uh, the boyfriend had a warrant and had shot a cop. And I was like, wait, I, sorry, what? Like what? But that's where they went. Like it was like, but the evidence. And I was like, no, yeah. we're talking about Breonna Taylor. We're not talking about the boyfriend. Yeah. And, and so and I, and I tried for like an hour to see, to let him see, like, do you understand that if this was your daughter, you wouldn't give a fuck about the boyfriend? Right. You would say, you killed my daughter. Yeah. And he didn't have anything to say to that. You make a good point. When we're talking about white fragility. And we're talking about how white people don't understand um, the experiences of black folks or how racism actually shows up. Sometimes the only way to make it stick is to personalize it. Right. And while that can be effective, that in itself is problematic. Really? You should Shit. not. Yes. You should not have to care about the welfare of somebody else just because they're your family. Totally. Yes. Yes. And that's horrible that that's the only way to get somebody to understand. And that in itself is where we are. That's where it's at. That is exactly where it's at. Um, I've had these conversations before with the same thing. Well, you know, she was doing this. It doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't fucking matter. I don't care if her boyfriend had 16 warrants. I don't care if she had three warrants. When we talk about what happened, a no, there is no justification for what happened period it's just like with george floyd and what was really interesting or kind of difficult today is you know we've been taught that it was eight minutes that he was pinned down by derek chauvin it was actually nine minutes and 29 seconds um where his fellow officers were like dude what are you doing um but the fact that you know like i said at the beginning of this the trial is still going to be about george floyd and everything wrong that george floyd did this is what happened in his death right and that is, again, white fragility showing up in a different way. And I think it's really important that we recognize that white fragility does not always show up with white tears. White fragility shows up in, in giving a pass to white folks in general. White fragility shows up in saying, this is, this, this is why this happened because of such and such and such and such. 
you know, we're talking about George Floyd supposedly passing a counterfeit bill. I don't know anywhere that it's justifiable to put your knee on somebody's neck for a fucking counterfeit bill, but that's another situation. But that's the justification behind it. And that's a problem. That, that's a problem. It's white fragility happens when we talk about how a person of color is a suspect in a crime versus a white person. You know, talking about the shooting in Atlanta because he had a bad day. On a bad day, I'm gonna drink probably five glasses of wine right. and pass a, may, maybe text the next. Um, make a lot, of, make a lot of bad choices that don't involve murdering eight people, right? Right. But because we've been taught and conditioned to cater to white folks, this is the narrative that's given. Yeah, it's um, and it's something that I think it needs to become unlearned. And I think that that's what I'm doing in my life is I'm seeing things. You know, I think. You and I talked about this earlier. Things will keep coming up as we keep growing, as education keeps happening. We're going to keep realizing, ooh, I can't, that's not, mm. Mm -hmm. And I, there are so many things. So I have, uh, it's funny, this all kind of, not this all, but uh, I was unpacking things with an ex once. And um, they were, they were pretty, they were white and pretty activist minded. And I used an emoji, not the white emoji, but the one right next to it. Okay. And they said, can we talk about your emoji choice? And I said, yes, let's talk about that. I just chose it. And they said, well, that's problematic. And I was like, and they said, if you don't want to be white, I get it. But then choose something else, choose a dinosaur or a turtle or something. And a few other times I had been like drunk texting or something and I slipped and sent the wrong one. And I was called out. I was called out for it. And I, I remember thinking like, I tried so hard. I had made such a mental note and I tried so hard and I still fucked up. Yeah. And now it's burned into my memory. Now it is seared into my memory. Because that is not, you know, uh, uh, what is it called? Digital, Digital blackface, blackface is not something that my generation had to do. De- you know, we barely had phones. Like, right, right. So I didn't even think about digital blackface. I was like, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. How are you being racist? Like, I was flabbergasted. But I was also able to take my ego down and go, oh. Right. Oh. Oh. Like, and that's, it's hard. Was it fully explained to you, the problem behind it? Uh, no. Okay. Do you, want, you want me to real quick? Yes. I, I think it's really important because I have used this now and told people, you know, this is actually not even posting memes. I think memes are huge. Huge. Memes. Uh, is it GIF or GIF? It's GIF. It's, it's GIF. <laughs> I fucking hate that argument. Um Here's, here's why it's problematic. Number, so the emojis, it's, it's kind of problematic because I, I liken it to when white people are like, oh my God, it's summertime, I'm gonna be as dark as you. <laughs> Shut up, no, you're not. But also being dark as black people is frowned upon or criticized or hated. Um, the reason, reason why digital blackface is a problem is, so 
you have this whole thread going and somebody's like, oh my God, yes. And they use, let's just say Nini from Real Housewives of Atlanta because she's full of sass and everything. Nini, when she's viewed through the eyes of society is a loud black woman. Not a powerful black woman, not a successful black woman. She's a loud black woman. That's ridiculous. She's always like, oh my God, this and this and this and this. She's viewed as comical, a joke, not taken seriously. When a white person uses that, that goes away. And it's like, oh my God, that gift is so funny. I can't believe you use that. It, it ties into the same thing of box braids. And box braids for me have a different space than white dreads. Uh, box braids on a white person are trendy. And oh my God, that's so avant-garde. I can't believe you're doing that. That's so fashion forward. A black one with box braids can lose her job. There, I mean, we're talking about this, this last year that a law went into effect that people, that black people cannot be fired for wearing their hand natural. And we're talking 2020, 2021. So it comes from a space of privilege. It's when a white person uses a, a, a gif or a meme using a black person as a way to make a joke, it's funny. When we talk about that actual black person in that meme or gif, they are chastised for being who they are simply for living while black. So it's, it's again, that whole robbing us of, all, of our culture. Yeah. And, and once I was kind of clued in on that, I was, again, we all have a point. Everyone has a point. And so I was in a, like a Facebook group and I saw somebody, it was a polyamory Facebook group and they posted a GIF um, of, uh, of, of a black person. And it was funny. And uh -huh. I messaged, I messaged the moderator and I said, so I recently learned this. And I'm letting you know that I don't think this is okay. Mm -hmm. And here's why. And here's just, I, I think that it's problematic for you to post this as a white woman. Right. And she actually handled it really well. She said, I'll take it down and do the re do a repost. I didn't realize that nobody's ever told me that. And I think that if somebody can meet you where you're at a white person and like take their ego out of it, you know, you saw my superhero post. I had somebody said, you use the word spirit animal. That's not okay. And I was like, oh my God, I, you're right. And I immediately retracted because I was like, and, and somebody actually said, just delete it. And I said, no, 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 no. Oh, we're that's not learning and we're not teaching other people that way. There's Yes, we're taking away that learning opportunity. And then you're also taking away the emotional labor that the person that called you out put into it. Woo, that part right there, that part, that part. That, and I think that's what needs to stop happening is taking these. It, yes, we're going to run into some posts that other people might do that are just wildly, wildly <laughs> problematic. But something like that, that's a learning opportunity, not only for you, but for other people. Yeah. And that's something that, again, that's free education that we can keep out there. And I had a situation where somebody, um, got upset on one of my TikToks. It was, I'd done a stitch about like emotion, like, or um, abuse in a relationship or something along those lines. And she didn't like how the responses came back and she felt attacked. And so then she either blocked me or deleted everything. I'm not exactly sure. Either way, it took away all the emotional labor of everybody that had commented on it because it got some really good feedback and it opened up a really great conversation, but it was this defensiveness that caused her just to delete it. And that is also, that's, that's the prime example of white fragility. 
and this is tricky because it wasn't a white person, but it still plays in the same way. Um, the, the common theme is to, I'm taking my toys and I'm leaving and you run away. When things get uncomfortable. When things get uncomfortable. Nope. I'm leaving. That's it. That's it. And it's like, I'm going to block you and I'm never going to talk to you again. I'm never going to talk to you again. Cool. That's, that's fantastic. Don't talk to me again. But what the fuck have you learned? Nothing. And then, so when they're called out by the next person, they're like stuck on stupid. Like, well, I don't understand what's happening. You have the chance to learn, right? You you just didn't take it. You didn't take it. Yeah. I, I I honestly think that um, I'm here on this earth to, uh, bring forth some uncomfortable conversations. Cause I feel like 2021, especially in most of 2020 was full of uncomfortable conversations for, for me, but it's mm-hmm. also the most I've grown in my entire life. Yes. Because I'm sitting there and it's blooming and we're thriving folks. Like you can survive here actually. Right. It's not going to kill you. It's not. And I think what's also important too, is that when you speak, you speak from a place of education based off of your lived experiences. You speak from here's what I did and here's what I've learned and here's how I'm doing better. And the problem that we run into and what creates more fragility and more white tears is when a white person tries to speak from the experiences of black folks. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. Like don't tell them how to feel. You cannot. Uh, yes that doesn't work and you know we talk about how and it, it, this conversation has happened before we talk about how it's not the responsibility of black people to teach white people how to treat black people and it's not but then i'm also saying like don't speak for black people from their experiences and i think that white people forget that it's two separate situations right you can learn how not to act without it coming from a black person like, at what point do we not become adults and realize that that's pretty shitty? Like, if that were happening to me, I'd be really, really upset. But that's the part of oppression they don't want. No, they don't want that part. They want to that's say, but, part. Work, but look, at, look at my work. Look at I did all my work. I did all the things. All the boxes are checked. I would rather have. I would rather have a white person consistently making mistakes. Not the same ones. Agreed. But consistently making mistakes and doing better than the white person that believes they have no work to do. There's never going to be a time that white people don't have to learn how to do better. Never. And I say, and I say that because I don't think that in my lifetime, I'm going to see white supremacy culture truly dismantled. I would love to, I would love to see it happen. I would love to see that happen. Do I believe it in my lifetime? Being completely honest, no. And all we have to do is look at what happened last summer right? to see that and to see where we're at 10 months later. Right, to see that there are still people qualifying their actions based on, I have a black boyfriend, I'm one eighteenth black. My, I was black in a former life, that shit happened. Like, you know what I mean? Like as long as we have people still classifying and clarifying and excusing their behavior um, and not acknowledging what actually happened, mm-hmm. um, then if you can't get uncomfortable, you're not going to change. I, I definitely um, have something that I have been wanting to talk about that I have recently decided I need to fix. 
Tell me. I have a tattoo that's problematic. I have a memorial tattoo for my brother mm-hmm. that is um, a Day of the Dead tattoo. Oh. Because my brother had his lover in um, Peru mm-hmm. and he fell in love with the culture and he told me that that's how he loved the way that they, they handled death. Yes. And um, so I've always loved how they handle grief and, and death. And now I'm like, Ooh, I need to find something to cover that with, you know? And it's, and did I know it when I did it? No, I was, it was a lovely thought for my brother. That's all I thought. And now I see it and I like, I'll be taking TikToks and stuff and I'll just like, let's scooch over this way. Like, I'm going to deal with this and I'm going to get it, you know, covered. But it's like, we have to be able to say these things out loud. But look how, and this is, this is exactly it. Look how you're addressing this. You could very easily say, but it's for my brother. And the, the, the initial thought, I can tell you the initial thought of most people is going to be like, oh, okay, I get it. Right. And we do that because we acknowledge grief and how we all handle grief, right? We, that's how we recognize it. But grief is not a pass for ignorance. Ever. Ever. And so now I'm like, okay, what are we going to put over top of it? Like, what are we going to do? How are we going to acknowledge? Are we going to acknowledge it first? And then, you know what I mean? Because I, right. I do want to make that distinction. I think that's the part, you know, it's like the spirit animal thing. It was like, just delete it somebody said. And I was like, no, no, no. And I don't, I don't want to just cover this up and not acknowledge it. Like I think it's important. And I think that like when people ask me, um, have you ever traveled overseas? (laughs) Like, okay, you want to know, are you ready? Like I was part of a religion called the Baha'i faith. Have you ever heard of it? No, I have not. Yeah. The Baha'i faith was started in the middle East and it's, they preach unity and love and peace. And that's why I was part of it with Ryan and Maddie. And we thought it was great. And then I did some research, but I was already in there. Yeah. And they, they see uh, homosexuality as uh, bestiality and they, and they uh, it's un it's you can, you can be gay. You just can't act on it. Oh, that's a problem. And I was like, Oh, Oh, but while I was there, we decided to go to Zambia, Africa to teach the faith. This is what I did. Like, this was me. There are photos. I had dreadlocks like this. Oh, my, my, my. I told you I was going to tell you some of these things live because I wanted your fucking reaction. Like, but these are things that I've talked to people about. I actually did a whole, I wrote a whole essay on this because I was like, let me tell you what young M thought they were doing when they went over there. I thought I was going to take my white self and I was going to teach people all about how to make their lives better. And you know what I realized the first month I was there, we lived there for two years. And I realized not only did I realize I did not want to be part of this faith anymore, A, B, I realized I was humbled so quickly. I would sit and talk to neighbors and people and I would I would have the caucasity of wanting, let me teach your kids to read. Let's do this. Let's do that. This was me, bitch. Like this was me. And I, I had the most amazing conversation with this woman who had 15 children 
and I had my little Maddie. I had my little Maddie there with me. And I looked at her and I said, this is a lot of work for you. Like, why do you have 15 children? And she looked at me and said, I have so many children because we have this farm and this is how, how we live and I need help on the farm. And if I have 15, I know that the amount that will survive to adulthood will at least be a few. And I, at that moment, Portia, my whole world turned around and I looked at Ryan and I said, this is, this is, what are we doing? What are we doing? What the fuck are we doing? Like, and that's when I realized, oh, you're not going to learn any here. You're not teaching anybody anything. You're learning everything here. You're learning everything. So, so immediately we tried, we did become a little bit white saviorish in the way that we, Ryan actually went to jail and he went to jail because he was asked to bribe a police officer when we were stopped and he wanted to change generations of, uh, you know, uh, corrupt police in one fail swoop. <laughs> that doesn't happen, but right. bless his sweetheart. Um, he tried and uh, they took him to jail. And I thinking I was Michelle fucking Pfeiffer clearly went to the front desk of this central police and said, I'm going to call my em embassy. You need to let my partner out of jail. Oh my God. You became the biggest white person ever. You, you Karen. And let me tell you what happened. This is what Portia, this is what made me realize a few things. This is what made me realize my privilege, my absolute ignorance, and the fact that I was making such a huge mistake in so many things that I was doing. This officer looked at me because I said, I'm going to call my MC. I'm going to get him out. All these things. He looked at me and he said, Madame, you're a guest here. You have no rights. That is single-handedly the scariest thing I've ever heard said to me. Because within moments, I realized, what on earth are you doing? Like, who the fuck, what kind of caucasity do you have to think that you are going to go to a totally different country and think that your skin color is going to teach anyone anything when in reality, you need to shut your mouth and learn about life. Like, why do you think I'm writing a book? Or like, really? Like, I'm like, woo, we have to unpack so much. Do you know how many missionaries I hope are listening to this? Ooh, right. The fact that missionaries will decide to pack up and go to another country instead of doing work in their home space. Right. Where we all know it's needed in the, yeah, in the hills of wherever. Yeah. It's, and, and, and a lot of my story is known by people. And, you know, that's the thing is this religion, the Baha'i faith is incredibly, uh, it's very diverse, incredibly diverse. Um, and they talk about the peace, love and unity, but one of their, you know, one of their main phrases is this is the color of my race, the human race. Like, let's unpack that for a minute, right? And I have been, I have been saying that I have, I have a whole bone to pick with this whole religion because I spent so much time in it um, because nobody's going to talk about how problematic that is. 
Like, and so like, like I said, I told you I had some doozies for you today. Um, (laughs) But I want to get my shit out there because I think it's important. I think it's important to clear, because I also refuse to be the influencer that has shit that someone else brings up. I'm going to Eminem the fuck out of this. I'm going to Eminem this and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you my laundry list so that the only laundry list you have to look at is your own bitch. Like, exactly. let's do it. Just do like a comparison. There's something to be said about when, when you have a white person that calls out their shit, other white people have two choices. Three, actually. They can ignore it. They can judge you while forgetting about their own fucking backyard. Or they can compare it and say, oh shit, I did that too. What can be better? What can I do to be better? But that calls too much, that causes too many feelings. And it's right. And it's work. It's really easy to say, yes, Black Lives Matter. Show me. Fucking show me. I don't want you to black out your profile picture. I don't want you to have your profile picture just saying Black Lives Matter. I don't want it to be a black fist up there. I want you to show me that my life actually matters. And I don't want to see all of those things and then hear that you have a black boyfriend that you're protecting either. Like, I want to actually see what you're doing for people that you don't love. Exactly what we just talked about. It does. It it should not only be personalized at all. Yes. And I do feel like, I do feel like um, this, especially this conversation, our, our premiere episode of this segment is going to be, it's going to hit a lot of nerves, but I want, what I want to impose as a white person to the white people that are feeling something right now. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I'm working on in my trauma unpacking and everything if you're feeling a harsh reaction to something, there's most, most likely there's something underneath there. Take the beat. Don't react. Try not to be reactive for a minute and unpack why you're feeling that. That's, 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 I mean, outside of even being um, an anti-racist, that's just, that's therapy one-on-one really, which, Hey, Listeners, if you're not in therapy, maybe think about it because it's for everyone, even when you're feeling good. Um, That's my plug. But also, if it makes you uncomfortable, figure out why. I know that if I have a pair of jeans on that don't fit, I'm going to be uncomfortable. And guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to change those fucking jeans. Or you're just going to sit with them open in the restaurant and nobody knows because you have a big sweater on. Because I do that sometimes. (laughs) I mean, after a meal, I might just unbutton that top button. (laughs) But it's easy to change what's uncomfortable in our lives if it's only affecting us, right? That, that's, and that ties into what we've also been taught. We're a very selfish society. Um, we're very, very um, take care of ourselves. How do we take care of ourselves? Um, so if we don't look at how discomfort affects other people, then that's why there's no change, right? Um, I have a very dear friend who has been dealing with a lot of white tears lately. She um, is a co she has a co-op school that this started with the pandemic and like figuring out kids and going back to school and her and some other friends were worried about the kids. So they decided to, to put their own school together and it's um, uh, mothers of color and then some, some white mothers. And this one 
particular white woman has been weaponizing white tears against the, the black mothers. Um, I mean, just weaponizing them like crazy, right? And as humans, at least humans that feel or just have some sort of empathy for other people, we see tears and our instinct is what's wrong? How can we fix it? Um, and I think what's extremely dangerous with white tears bred from white fragility is when they're presented to black women specifically, our instinct is to take care of that person. I believe that goes back to the fact that we've been raising white people since we were brought here. Yes. If we didn't have our rapist children, then we were raising our owner's children. We were breastfeeding them. We were bathing them. We were cleaning them. We were reprimanding them. So that is what we know is to take care of those white tears. And what I'm loving right now Again, I think that 2020 gave us a gift out of the, the, the shit storm that it was. It gave us this gift of where black people, specifically black women are just tired. And so that immediate desire to fix those white tears is gone. You know what I mean? It's, it's just gone. And, and that's where the parents came in. And that's where they came in but I'm just trying to help you. And I don't understand why I can't help you. I don't understand why I can't say this or why I can't do this or blah, blah, blah. Another conversation that, that brought up fragility and you might've seen it around TikTok is white people or white women calling black women cis. Yes. I've had this conversation with people that come into my lives and call me that and want to call me that. And I'm like, okay, we got to break this down for a few reasons, <laughs> actually. For a couple um, and again, it's a boundary that's set that you don't have to, you don't have to take it, it, it again. It just ties back into like the whole wanting to be oppressed so bad. You don't have to co-op the oppression of an oppressed community to support them. Right. right? So you can be my friend without calling me sis. <laughs> you I'm laughing only because I've seen it so many times. Yes. There are some, I will say this, and, and this, again, it speaks to Black people not being a monolith, especially Black women. Um, and then even, there are some white women that I'm okay with saying it, but I've probably known you for years and years and years and years and years, and I actually do consider you my sister, and it's fine. Um, but it's small things like that. But white people, specifically white women, just get so shook by this concept that they can't do something and I think that it's tied a lot into um, additional white supremacy. We also have the patriarchy, right? So obviously we know that the most privileged person in this country is a white cis man. You, there's, you can never tell me anything otherwise. Period. Ever. Yes. And right behind that is white cis female. And they... White women are just trying so hard. Yeah, because they're like, but we're so women. You can't tell us that we're not. I actually had somebody, I was saying, like, unless you are um, a uh, BIPOC, like, we need to keep, and they, she was like, but what about women? Like, we're just, we didn't vote until blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh. Cool. 
But when you got the right to vote, did you help out to get black people to vote? Right, right. And I think that that's what this is about, is that people, again, are talking, they're, they're so centering themselves in this. And there's just so much of it. Can we not center our feelings just for a minute? You, you just, that's, I want to come back to what you just, yes, centering. But that's such a good point. Like, we didn't get a vote until whatever. We can make that true about any situation, if we think about it, right? Um, white women can say that, yes, they weren't able to do things for X amount of time because of so-and-so and so-and-so. And that's true. That's true. But when you did gain that access, when you did get that right, did you turn around and fight for your Black sisters? Sure the fuck didn't. Susan B. Anthony. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think, um, <coughs> excuse me. I know we could talk about this for hours. Um, but I think to close this out, I would love to, um, give people a taste of just the kind of things that we want to talk about here. In addition to that, because I think you and I are going to just start a running roll of count of these things, you know, TikTok yes. posts that we see, you know, I know that next time I know we, we already had it on the list. We want to talk about internalized racism in the black community because of this need to feel, you know, the dread post had a lot of people saying, what yeah. about black women with white hair with weaves? Like, what about that? And I addressed that in the fucking video. I was like, you realize we did this, right? Right. Somebody sent me a video of, about a black woman who has a white daughter. And she was saying something about, you know, when people say that your daughter is um, appropriating a culture because she has dreads and it's a, it's a little, she's using her child. And then her, her black mom shows up and a lot of people are saying, well, if, you know, if it's your child, it's your culture. No, 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 no. Um, so yes, I would love to talk about uh, internalized racism, internalized impression. It's or, or oppression. It's huge. It's huge. And it's important to talk about because we will see problematic white people grab onto that. So hard with like white knuckles. Just grab onto it and like, yes, that is my black person. That's the one that I can keep doing my behavior, but say that I'm supporting black people without understanding where that comes from. And that's a whole, yes. So I, I would love to talk about that. Um, we could talk about intersectionality between race and gender identity. Yes. And I, I want, I think that the, the George Floyd, I, I think this is all coming full circle on this day for a reason we are now realizing. Um, but I think talking about things that are happening in the news because we see it every fucking day. So we will start keeping notes so that we can meet once a month and, and download this and really talk about it as things happen to me. Like, yeah. I think I'm going to continue to be accountable. If you see something, be like, Em, you did this one thing the other day on TikTok and I would like to discuss it. Like, yeah. I'm here for those conversations. Like I said, I am thriving in discomfort mm -hmm. and I'm realizing that my growth has sped up twofold because I'm sitting in discomfort. I'm realizing, oh God, this is how you grow fast. Oh, oh, here it is. It's I unlocked so the code. The right. lotus flower analogy that I gave, which is the lotus grows from mud. It grows from dirt. It grows from tumultuous circumstances and environments. It grows because it has to move through the muck. And that is true for humans as well. We grow through the muck. We have to be shaken out of this 
comfort level that we've been placed in or that we were placed in. We have to recognize that what we've been doing for all these years is not working. And that's why we still have the senseless killings of black people. That's why we still have rampant racism. That's why we're still living in a culture that's com completely steeped in white supremacy culture. This is why we are still repeating what happened when my mom was a teenager, when her mom was a teenager, when her mom's mom was a teenager. We have not changed what we've lived in. Slavery still exists in a different form. Yeah. I mean, period at the end of that. Yeah. I do want to close this out by telling you that something you put on your story several weeks ago, maybe, um, or maybe I saved it and it was more than a week, a few weeks ago. It was a letter. Do you remember? College acceptance letter. Yes. And the date, I want to say it was like 1957 or something. Similar. Yes. So I saved that. And I, and again, uh, internet, I'm not going to repost. I reposted it, but I saved it for a reason because mm -hmm. I knew Ryan's mom, who is this boomer in her seventies that actually is such a great listener and she's learning so much. And she's, she's so f such a impressive Southern white woman for me, it's, which is a rare combination of words in general. <laughs> that, make, that sentence makes no sense to me, <laughs> but I'm going to trust you. Yeah. So we, we talked about, um, I pulled up the letter and I, and I said, I want to read you guys something. And I read it to Ryan and his mom. And she said, Oh yeah. Yeah. I was alive during that time. And that sparked a whole conversation with her saying, you know what I was realizing the other day, the church that I used to go to used to have minstrel shows. And I was like, and she said, and I had to have a whole conversation with people in my family about how wrong that was and how horrible it was. And she said, I'm in my seventies. I was 11 when that happened. Do P and I'm my, my Trump loving um, racist family members. She's like, I'm trying to explain to them that this was not that far away. I was alive when this was happening. I, I'm alive and it's happening now. And so watching her light bulb turn on and watching her gears turn and watching her say, send me that, send me that letter so I can share it with, you know what I mean? That's that. I love that. Right. That is the kind of conversation we need to be having. And those are the kind of people we need to be having the conversations with. Yes. I don't want to hear one more person say, we're just waiting for them all to die out. No. Because they're, they're, they've been teaching people. Yes, yes. Still there. We've made that yeah. evident by having that, that fucking asshole in the White House for the last four years. I, what I, I think a good way to, um, something to, to drop in, to kind of end this to a phrase that I like to say, I just talked about this with my mother, um, is that we are who we are now because of who we are, who we were when. But in addition to that, do we want to stay who we were when? Or do we want to be better because we still have life to live? What legacy do we want to leave behind? It's really that simple. Ooh, I yes. just chills. We have our past, right? We, that's our past. Our past is that. It's like I told you. And, and thank you for not apologizing today or at, at any time. Um, apologies, again, can be a mouthpiece because they don't often come with actions, right? 
So instead of apologizing for who you were when, show that you can do better. Know better, do better, be better. Mm, I'm so excited for this series. I'm so I am excited. I, am, I really am excited. Um, I really believe now, after having this conversation, that it was meant to happen today. On this day. On this day. In Aries season, no less. Woo! Aries moon. My, ooh, come on now. Come on. You know me. It's, that's where we are. This is where thank we you, are. Correct. Um, thank you for being here. Thank you for taking the time and energy because I know that that is something that is often taken for granted. It is often assumed. Yes. And it's something that I never want to do with you. So, um, yeah, I'm grateful for you. I am grateful for you. And I'm grateful this, I'm grateful for this space, like just for holding community with you today, man, we're going to, we're going to rip some shit up. Like, oh my God. we're going to make so many people mad. But then when, when we can travel and I get my vaccine and you, you've got your second shot, we are going to have so much wine. We are I going am. to smoke so many blunts and it yes. is going to be, uh, we're probably, we might get arrested. It's fine though. It's fine. Everything's fine. Wait till we, <laughs> wait till we do this shit together. Oh, I, I mean, like the way the energy is bouncing off of us right now, put us in a room together. Sorry, America. Or you're welcome. Or yeah. Or whatever way you want to look at it. Or we'll start charging you. Yes. Okay. <laughs> this is great. I'm already ready for next month. Perfect. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and all the episodes. We hope you'll join our quickly growing online community where there is always someone to hold a space for you if you feel alone. If you have an idea for an upcoming guest or topic, please don't hesitate to reach out. All social media links and contact information can be found at my website, MaryAngelaAbeo.com. And until next time, take care of yourselves and those around you. And by that, I mean, wash your fucking hands, wear a damn mask, defund the police, pay the fee, basically continue fighting for the rights of indigenous and black lives everywhere, including and especially black trans lives, and do your part to abolish all forms of systemic racism. I'll see you next time.